Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts. It's simple. Open iTunes. Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, (laughs) and five stars being free front row (laughs) tickets to Hamilton. (laughs) Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul in the last five years, because I think that would be uh, awesome. I would love to hear, can I hear Moving Too Fast as Paul? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I really want. She's a chick's the goddess. <laughs> and through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss and the Handelman twins. So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your reviews. It. Send us Thank your you. reviews, Please. friends. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. We are also excited to announce that you can listen to us on the Broadway radio. How fancy, how fancy. Uh, Today we are on site in Connecticut at the home of legendary record producer Bruce Yeko. Bruce's contributions to the American American musical theater are enormous. You see, it was Bruce and his company, Original Cast Records, that was determined to record all of those musicals that no other record label wanted to produce. Listen to some of these titles, and just remember that if it weren't for Bruce, we wouldn't have recordings of The Baker's Wife, starring Patti LuPone, uh, William Finn's first musical in Trousers, and over 300 other titles. And as you'll soon hear... It wasn't just New York musicals that Bruce wanted to record. In fact, Bruce has produced so many albums that he holds a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for having produced more cast recordings than any other individual. To tell us what it was like to start his own record company, work with giants like Angela Lansbury, Julie Stein, and Alan J. Lerner, plus how a love of baseball is responsible for funding most of these cast recordings, here is Bruce Yeko. Bruce! 
Thanks for being with us today. Nice to see you. Uh, so, Bruce, tell me, growing up in Milwaukee, how did you discover musical theater? Yeah. I was in college at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee, and uh, I was studying to be an accountant. And I had a friend I had never gone to see, although my mother told me that when I was eight or ten years old, she took me to see South Pacific at a matinee. And she was a teacher and very concerned to be doing the right thing. And she looked around, there were no children at this matinee. And she felt she had taken me to something inappropriate, and she never took me to a musical or a play again. <laughs> but so the, I had a guy in my class, accounting class, and he says, you seem to know what you're doing, Bruce. Can you help me explain the Owen? So I worked with him. He said, I wish I could do something for you. And he said, I'm, I'm an usher at the Paps Theater, which was the big theater in Milwaukee at yeah. that time. And he said, uh, I'm an usher. And now I'm not sure how I got in. Did he, he might have had a ticket for me for various shows, or I might have walked in with him and just sat down somewhere. It was so important that it happened. I would yeah. like to know that detail. But I don't remember this happened you know 10 15 times it's not like once or twice so i started seeing the shows i remember the first show there was a scrim and i'd never seen a scrim you can't see until the lights come up and then suddenly you can see through the curtain they did can the hot tin roof they did like 10 minutes of the show with the scrim still there i thought oh, that's kind of fascinating that is interesting that's really cool now did you fall in love with baseball before you fell in love with musical theater yes yes I would listen to the, and the, just about the time I was really ready to enjoy baseball, they moved the um, Boston Braves to Milwaukee. For you. Wow. <laughs> Who was your favorite team? At that time, the walking now. Yeah. And I hated the Yankees. But now, of course, I've come here. I like the Yankees and the Mets. People say, you can't like both teams. And I say, yes, you can. When they play each other, then you've got to decide. But they don't play each other often, right? A That's right. A number of times. It's rare. Yes. It's rare. Were you starting to then buy cast albums? Not. I started buying around the time of West Side Story. Okay. 57, probably. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I can recall in those days, they were just discovering stereo. And I had to decide, did I want to wait sometimes six, eight weeks for the stereo and pay a dollar more? Mm. Most cases, I decided I should. And those those early stereos, especially Columbia Records, the stereo effect is I mean, somebody's ever sleeping. It's just terrific stereo. I mean, all that. And in more recent times, no one cares. Even though I produce things, occasionally I will say, well, couldn't we put some singers on one side and some singers? on the other side. Can you, can you explain a little bit? Because maybe it took me a while to actually understand the difference between, I know this sounds crazy, but between mono and stereo. And could you just explain a little, because you've produced so many, what, what that a, effect is to the listener. As if the actors and musicians are there. Well, these guys over here and those guys over there, it's going to sound different if we record them uh-huh. rather than just putting a mic in the front and hearing a little of everything. Right. So you hear it like on the right side of your ear right. or the left side of your head right. or whatever it is. So I can't po- recall the last record I heard. That sounds like it's in stereo. In mm. theory, they're in stereo, but they go. Yeah. What is your favorite cast recording? Well, of, of mine or of every. Uh, we'll go everyone and then we'll go to you. Well, uh, one of the favorites that I just happened to be listening to is <laughs> called Kwamina. Yes. Goldilocks. That's my favorite. That's this guy's favorite. Yep. All the way. <laughs> all the way. Wow. And then of, of the ones you produced, which is your favorite? Well, the, the Baker's Wife has been so successful. I <laughs> got, got to include the Baker's Wife. Mm-hmm. I certainly like it a lot. Uh, uh, but the little-known ones, uh, Brownstone, 
Amazing. Brownstone's my favorite. We talked about that on our podcast previously, actually. Yeah. I love... We'll be getting to all that. Okay, so yeah. we, we have some good ones here. Um, what was the first Broadway show that you ever saw? I came to New York. It took me two and a half days to drive. The first day, I was driving on a local road rather than the super highway. Oh. <laughs> so look, you think I would have looked at the map before I started? <laughs> I said, you know, there, there's, there's Route 80. I should be on Route 80. Wow. So I got on Route 80, and I, I, I told my mother I graduated you know, on a Sunday night. And the, the university was half an hour on the way to New York. We lived half an hour the wrong direction. So I said to my mother, I'm going to leave from the graduation. I'm going to have a car parked with all my personal possessions, my baseball cards, my cast albums. And, uh, and she said, oh, please, let us take you out to a dinner, which they never did. Never did. So I realized this was. So we went out for, for fried chicken. <laughs> nice. And the next day I got up at six or so in the morning and I drove. And I said on the way, I, I, I told my mother, I said, I have to be there for a Wednesday matinee. <laughs> well, if I'm going to live for the rest of I know. Nobody said, well, why, why Bruce? Why, why? You want, I want to. So I want. Uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, when they hired me to be an accountant again, I was good in school. It turns out I'm not too good in the actual world of accounting. But I was good in school, so I could have worked. There was a big seven in accounting, and I could have worked for anybody in Milwaukee. And I, when I was interviewed, I said, you know, I don't care who I work for, but you got to hire me for your New York office so I can see Broadway musicals. And of the six, wow. only one of the seven was able to hire me for New York. Otherwise, I believe I mean, we wouldn't be here. All these albums wouldn't have happened. I'd be going to the movies in Milwaukee. And wow. Milwaukee Brewers. When you got to New York, is it true that you were seeing about five shows a week? No, I did. The first again, I remember that first day in the evening. I saw somebody's sleep. I I remember seeing Bravo Giovanni. I remember seeing um, um, How to Succeed. Funny the way the Forum. But I didn't see a lot of shows. And again, I brought my baseball cards with me. I had oh, I had started a little business that yes, I had a little hobby doing it. But no one made a living selling baseball cards. So if anyone had suggested, well, could you make a living doing that? Oh, I don't think I'm going to go. There's a, I knew the whole hobby. No one's doing it as a living. It's a hobby. That's right. Because how do you get out? I mean, I would think now it, now you have the internet and all of that, but you didn't have that well, way no, of... No, no, no. I had started to, just as I was leaving Milwaukee. I put an ad... And there were baseball publications. Uh-huh. And later on, the football publications, mm-hmm. and I knew. And a little ad was $17.50. And I would take in a couple hundred dollars. So that, that was, but again, I didn't know how far I'd go. So I advertised once or twice. So when they fired me, my mother said, well, couldn't you be a bookkeeper? I said, Mom, a bookkeeper is not what I was. I was an accountant, even though you didn't sort of work out. I, I went way past bookkeeping. Yeah. But I said, uh, you know, I would consider another accounting job, you know, you know with a small firm that would have been better off doing in the first place. But uh, I said, let me just try. I have a little savings from running the baseball card business. I'm going to see if I can't, uh, you know, make a living. And indeed, I, I doubled or tripled. I made $500 as an accountant. And I don't know exactly what I made, but a lot more than that is a month. This is a monthly. Uh, from your cards. Right. Wow. And you started trading cards when you were, what, 22 professionally? No, no, no. The, the, I started in, in high school. In high school? So you started yeah. even earlier. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. When did you decide... Maybe you should start producing cast albums. How did you go from... Well, the baseball card business got... So, you know, I assumed I would live in New York for my whole life. Yeah. And again, I went to theater for five years by myself. 
I once took a really beautiful young girl to see a show. I she women never wanted to see Broadway shows. The women that I you know, asked out mm-hmm. didn't want to see Broadway shows. They would go to the movies. The World's Fair was very popular. Sixty four, everybody wanted to go to the World's Fair, and I was happy enough. You know, I just wanted a, a pretty girl to to go with me, so I'll go anywhere. You want to go to the World's <laughs> Fair? We'll, we'll keep going. And I got to. I'm like a guide. I know that this is the Disney Pavilion. We go through that. It's a small world. <laughs> after all yeah yeah <laughs> but uh so i you know, went to oh, I, I took the the beautiful girl to to drat the cat which, which she didn't enjoy and i didn't really enjoy it either <laughs> doomed and she she touched me or he touched me was uh, a decent song yes it seemed like a silly thing that leslie and warren is not a cat burglar and no, no she isn't. did as time went on and we're going into the 1970s now you we're not just seeing shows in New York City, right? You were seeing shows just well, about. See, my, my regret too is not having. Uh, I never went out of town, and I bought Variety. I knew by the time I'm here, I know that Chuchem is closing in Philadelphia. I know these <laughs> things like that, and they generally told you before, not after the fact. Something mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So I said, well, I would like to see those shows, but the baseball. I was doing the baseball cards all by myself, and I would number the orders, and I would always have like 150 or 200 orders in the pile, and I said, I can't take a whole day. If I went to a matinee, that would be the whole day, and in those days, buses and trains did not leave in time. They left the, the last bus or train was after the last curtain was before before the last curtain. Oh, so I couldn't have gotten home, and I'm not right. going to stay over. So, but when I found that uh, I needed to leave, I had mixed feelings about you know, leaving New York. But I said, "Well, I got to be within an hour and a half of New York," and I did did accomplish that. And uh, once I arrived here, I said, "They said, well, Schubert New Haven. This is the tryout. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah." Shows loved to, the ideal tryout in those days was New Haven for a week and Boston for two or three weeks. They so had you, to. They would go to Philadelphia, but no, nobody wanted to go to Philadelphia. So critics were noted as being mean-spirited. Did you see any shows in any of those areas that never came to Broadway? Oh, sure. Like, like uh, any favorites? Of the ones I've seen that they closed out of town. Well, a Mother's Kisses. With B. I Arthur, a, right? A small part in, uh, you know, uh, turning that into almost a cast album. Oh, so, you know, my my associate Robert Shear, you got uh, some investors to put up money to do that. We went to Slovakia. I had been to Slovakia a few times. Don Don Pippen and Jerry Herman had discovered Slovakia. They were the first he Americans us, yeah. to go there. And there the musicians would work for about a third of what the New York musicians would. Really? So they recorded an instrumental album of Jerry Herman's hits that was on RCA. And uh, so we went. But the downside is you need to take a group of people. You just can't. You wouldn't take singers. It's just to do the music. You need really to take a, a piano player and a drummer to keep the rhythm and everything yeah. like that. And uh, then you also have to hire a local person to translate. And sometimes I believe the musicians like to, is that a G sharp or a D natural? And this, by the time it goes to translation, is 10 minutes, right. and they're paid by the amount of time. So I believe sometimes <laughs> they know it's a B sharp, but they don't right. know. We're in the wrong time. business. Yeah, exactly. We shouldn't <laughs> speak, be speaking English. Um, so A Mother's Kisses, which almost became a cast recording, but so so we went to Slovakia, and it's just you know, uh, 
uh, Richard Adler, unfortunately, he thought this is like his vacation. And we all stayed at inexpensive places, and he stayed at the most expensive place, oh. and he ordered room service and uh, a masseuse. masseuse. And, Fancy. And so there was no money left. I mean, there were other problems, too. It wasn't just <laughs> Richard Adler. But... Uh, did he write the score? Yeah, he wrote the music Richard. and the lyrics. Wow. <laughs> wow. Cut back it was on that breakfast. a very unpleasant musical. And uh, Robert Scher had contacted B. Arthur, and she said, oh, sure, I'll, I'll record it. So when we came back with all the music recorded, he see, she said, well, can I hear the music? You saw the show. You were in the show. But she called him, and she said, Robert... Those songs aren't any good. It's your show, B. You, you, you did it for you know, four or five weeks. And you rehearsed it. You know. Wow. So somewhere those orchestra tracks are just sitting somewhere, yes. ostensibly. Yes, but the cost of finishing the album is way prohibitive. So yeah. it's never going to let something fill up. And there should be people who give away money to things that I don't think are worthwhile. Yeah. should give it to. Just guessing. How many shows do you think you've seen in your lifetime? I say 10,000. 10,000. A round figure. God. Well done. I did well done, I sir. Heard. How many times do I average and how many years? And it was in the 10,000 range. It's incredible. That's incredible. That's absolutely so incredible. So in 1976, I believe, is when you produce uh, in EP of The Robber Bridegroom. Is that correct? Right. That was my first legitimate. Uh, how did that? How did you decide that well, you wanted to record songs from The Robber Bridegroom? Yeah. A, a song plugger. Had an article in Variety. I wouldn't have seen this had I not subscribed to Variety. He says, I'm Morty Wax, I think. And he could get your music played on the radio. So he thought he would drum up even more business by going to producers of shows and saying, you know, I'll do three or four songs from your upcoming show with Broadway singers, not the people in the show, because you can't use people from the show once they're signed. Everybody has to be paid a week's salary if you record one person. That everyone in the cast would say, well, where's my money? You know? But he recorded anyone else. So Barbara Streisand could be on all these kind of little EPs. So he was going to charge the producers, I don't know, $5,000 or some some amount of money. And then he would, he would get them played on the radio to a certain extent. Those years go by, less and less do people want to hear Broadway show music right. on the radio. So I thought, well, I, I could do that. And I would have the idea of selling it in the theater out of town. And if there's a cast album, then that would be pretty much it, that nobody wants this four-song thing. But if it isn't, then I have the other people be forced. I didn't like the EP. You said, do you want something on an EP or a 45? No, I don't want that. You know, But if that's all there is as a collector, you'll take whatever there is. That's right. Eight-track. There was never anything that was only on eight-track, but... You might want one. You say, well, I'm never going to play it, but it's, it's the only you know, cast album on an 8-track. I'm going to get that one. So, uh, you know. Were there any, just a side note, were there any albums that were only on 8-track no, that no, never no, made no, 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 I can't no. think of anything. No, but, no, okay, no. just making sure. All right, sorry. <laughs> I, so you really knew nothing about the recording industry, the recording no, business. You had no, no experience with it, and you just no, decided to no. dive in. I had no idea about how how you like put the album together, how you manufactured it and all that. But I found out as as <laughs> things went by. So so I called, so I was looking for a show ideally that was going to be going out town out of town, and we would record with interesting Broadway people, probably just piano, maybe piano, bass, and drums, and we would sell it out of town for you. Know, and then 
you know, early on, the, you know, in, in the, when I was in New York, Columbia Records or RCA, they would record a show on Sunday. And on Thursday, there would be the physical product. Now it takes these companies months. And you know, the sales in the theater are very important. And I think people will buy it. And if they wouldn't charge so much money in the theater, if they were even like 20, I don't think they even... Charged, I think it's twenty five or something. Yeah. Yes. No, no, I can't spend twenty five. No, there's some people will. You just don't. Right. People spend twelve thousand for Hamilton. I think they're going to spend twenty five <laughs> for. Uh, you know. <laughs> so I I contacted and I couldn't find any show that was going out of town and have a you know six weeks or something. So the Robert Bridegroom had opened on Broadway to mixed reviews and it was my guess that they would have a few months run and that was the end of it. So I called Robert Waldman. And I said, do you think there's going to be a cast album? He said, no, I don't think so. I wish there was. And I said, well, I'd like to do an EP. I tried to get famous people, and I couldn't. People that I called weren't interested because what I was offering, I would talk to agents. Yeah. The agent only cares what is 10% or 15%. And if it was nothing, he said, I can go to, you know, I can't get a good meal somewhere for what you're paying. Uh, so, But I was friends with Ben Bagley, and he said, would you like Jerry Orbach? Really? Jerry Orbach, you're offering me Jerry. He said, yeah, he's a nice guy. And call him up. And so I said, yes, uh, for $1,000, would you record two songs from the Robert Bridegroom? Yes, yes, he would. Wow. And the money to pay Jerry Orbach was coming from the money you were making with the baseball cards? Yes, yes, yes. yes. So baseball is funding cast all of album. these amazing cast right. albums. That's, ma- right. that's magical. Anyway, so, to me. And so and we were able to get the orchestra from the show. Robert oh. Waldman said, they know the music. You can take them anywhere. And so we on a Wednesday, I'm getting, no, not on a Wednesday because they would have been matinee. Probably on a Tuesday or Thursday, after the evening performance, they came down to Greenwich Village to the same place where the baker's wife would be recorded a few years later. And... Uh, we recorded the, the the four songs, and it all went well. And I took it to the Biltmore Theater, and uh, I was working with the producers of the show. You know, they knew it was coming. They were happy enough to have publicity. And uh, about four days after I dropped them off, they said, you're going to have to pick up all the CD, all the uh, EPs. I said, what do you mean? The, the, it never, I had this mail-order business selling hard-to-find records, so I could sell maybe 50 or 100 if I'm really lucky. So I thought the people who see the shows, this is my audience. You know? So I said, why? Why? And they said, oh, Barry Boswick went crazy when he found out that Jerry Arbuck was singing songs and selling it in his theater. Now, Barry Boswick had said to me, I mean, Jerry Arbuck had said to me, I'm friends with Barry. Let me see if it's cool. But see, no one in his communication, nobody said that the record was to be sold in the theater. If that had been explained, it could explain that I, I would have used Barry Bostwick if it wasn't for paying the cast a week's yeah. salary. So he didn't know that. But the, the irony of it was that years later, I called up Barry Bostwick and uh, I reminded him of what, what happened, that he, he got the record. And he was, this made him, I believe, you know, I'm pretty friendly with him, I believe from talking to him for a lengthy time, that he was just annoyed that his show wasn't being recorded. So he paid, he's the only actor, I believe, to ever pay to record his own show major so he, he that's the reason why they there is that r- right. other recording right and can we still get that ep with jerry orbach is that still yes a, yes i sometimes put it on a cd because most people don't right don't want the ep so yeah. Yeah, i said i can give you an ep and a cd or just the ep or just the cd and very quickly for our, our younger viewers who don't even know what a cd player is what's <laughs> a what's the difference between an ep and an lp in in no, an EP is a 45 at 33 speed. So that way you get two songs. 
you can get maybe six minutes, seven minutes on one side. But on the uh, 45, you get three to four. Right. Got it. Got it. Got it. And the name of your record label that produced Robert Bridegroom at this time was called? Well, no, I started off because Ben Bagley gave a talk, and he didn't like any of the, He came to New York in the 40s. And his investigation is that they haven't written the show since the 40s. <laughs> the rest of it is crap, including I went to see The Grass Harp, which he eventually put out on uh, LP and then the CD. And he would moan. Anytime I went with him, he would moan because he wasn't happy. In he the liked showgirls and costumes and scenery. He didn't want anything about uh, you know uh, living in a tree and the various the things that happened in the grass. After. Amazing. Karen Morrow was in that show. Yeah. Too. And so your album was called uh, Take Home Tunes? Is right. that so right? Ben Bagley was decrying the fact that there weren't good songs anymore. No memorable songs and those take home so i said that has a double meaning because if you bought it you'd be taking it home that way i said i love that so i did that and eventually when i got divorced i thought i better change the name of the because my wife may say well i'm part of take home tunes and she was very involved oh, yeah. with take home tunes but then at a certain point she wasn't involved but so i changed the record name i said what's the really generic name original cast records again yeah. original cast records so interesting and then your second album was an album of martin charnin's work right so this, this was originally to have been annie so, four songs from annie i had seen it at good speed did not get good reviews walter kerr did not mention the songs he mentioned <gasps> the political he didn't like the politics of the show about the hooverville and all of that mm. And nobody said these are great songs. Nobody said tomorrow is a song that. Uh, wow! So yeah. I called up first. I called up uh, Charles Strauss because he, he's in the phone. I think he's still in the phone book. And he said, "Well, this is really Martin Charnin's show, so call him." So Martin Charnin said, "Well, you know, yeah, I, 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 I think you do that." And then he said, "No," he said, "We're signed to Columbia Records, and there's something in the contract that says there can't be." Any recordings prior to the cast album? I said, gee, years ago, everybody was happy to have Gordon McRae and Frank Sinatra and Joe Stafford singing these songs. Why has that changed? You know, if I make a little record, is that going to kill uh, yeah. you know, Columbia Records? He wouldn't think. So I said, well, could we do songs that were cut from Annie? Because I saw the first preview of Good, the first preview of Good Speed of new musicals not revival necessarily but a new musical so uh he said yeah sure so he said i i can get you larry kurt and Lori beachman and uh who is the other one we we got robert guillaume oh wow we'll, we'll do it do it for free oh that's very nice that's unheard of so uh then he called me back and he said you know we might want to put back something that we've given to you now that's out of the show, and then we'll be in violation of the contract. And he had said, why don't you record some of my flop shows? He maybe didn't say flop shows. Lesser <laughs> Unsuccessful, <known>. unsupported. <laughs> yes. What is Jennifer Tepper? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free any time anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Refer to them as an underappreciated? Underappreciated. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so now, how does Baker's wife come to your attention? Well, so I went to see it, and it started in Los Angeles, and not not done well there in terms of critics. I think mm. there was a subscription audience, so they did well enough. And then it went to uh, San Francisco, where they said it was a civic-like opera, so they were guaranteed of, of good audiences. And then it went to St. Louis, which is a mistake to do any kind of a show like that in a huge, they see like 15,000 people. There are people that are a mile away. Oh, the Muni. Who, oh, yeah. who are those insects? Oh. So, but, so the nearest, these are all places too far for me. Right? Drive there and drive back. Right. Mm-hmm. But it goes to Boston. So it's, well, we'll see it in Boston. And Topol was, was in it. And he, he just, there are lots of stories about the baker's wife. I mean, he, he believed that what happens on stage is real. And he said, I don't understand why Patty Lapone is leaving me for Kurt Peterson. Well, <laughs> Topol, um. <laughs> and, uh, and the, he he wanted to unbutton his shirt to show a man. No, you're not. You're you're a meek little guy. No, yeah, you're the baker. Who's not appealing to a, a young girl. That's the point that she learns to love you. Right. It's the oh, crux shut. of the whole story. Right. Right. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> they had originally wanted Zero Mustel. David Merrick contacted Zero Mustel, and Zero Mustel said, "You know, when I did Fiddler, I created a lot of things, even some dialogue, even but a bitty boom. I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. some things that." were in the script he improvised yeah and he said everybody and gestures and things everybody including topol in the movie copied me and i got no credit and i got no money so if i'm going to do another musical which he never did i want to own part of the show now that as as a business owner that is like baseball years ago you know mickey mantle worked for a hundred thousand dollars that was the zenith now players are saying you're insulting me by offering me 20 million dollars i have to feed my family Family. I mean, what kind of family uh, food <laughs> yeah, are you exactly. serving? That is $20 million. Uh, so obviously, the, the, he was not about to give it. David Merrick would have been the last person on earth you know, to give actors. So he thought they were children. He's not mm-hmm. going to you know, start a precedent. You know, it would have been you give the ones like ticket prices, one big new musical uh, you know, coming in. Some musical is going to charge 175 or something of like that. And then... The bad musicals will say we're going to charge on the seventy-five too. It's just follow the leader in that right. bad way. Yeah. So, uh, so then because Topol did do the movie, he thought, well, what about Topol? And, and then he, I don't know how he was able to do this. He refused to rehearse after the show opened. He wouldn't they rehearse made, Topol, right? Even so like in made, preview or after the show opened. Oh, after and, it opened, yeah. Now it says, I believe in the contract that out of town you're. Yes. Permitted so much rehearsal time. Yep. Well, yep. Topol, Topol's not coming. So they... <laughs> the baker and the baker's wife. They worked wife. on a lot of songs. So anyway, ultimately, so they're, they're changing the show and he doesn't know the other show. So maybe they said, by the way, we're not doing this. We are doing this. So that when you come on, we've just done that. So eventually, they really did not want him to be in the show. But he has a run-of-the-play contract. So they had to so buy him out. If I they- heard a story which... 
I guess is not probably true, but I'd like to believe that it was true because it's, it's a really good story. Oh, let's hear it. That David Merrick thought he could shame Topol into quitting. So he got the entire cast together and he said, Mr. Topol, I understand you're not happy doing this show. Well, we're not happy having you in the show. Why don't you just quit? I think what was more likely is that he just offered him a certain amount of money to not, and he probably realized it wasn't going to be a hit show and he probably made more money that way that if continued even if it opened on broadway <laughs> it probably would not have succeeded and there's a famous story about how they took out david merrick took meadowlark out of the show stephen schwartz was yes doing an evening at the ballroom a week of the ballroom and as soon as he left the david merrick said get that bird song out of the score yeah I've and of course that. stephen saw me to connect for the show called him stephen you know they took out your your you know great song meadowlark yeah so he went back and he said, that song is going back in there. I'm closing the show or some of that. You know, ultimately, wow. they, they did put, put Metal Arc back back in. So that that's my hit song. Because uh, uh, Patti LuPone thinks it's her, her song. Stephen Swartz thinks it's his song. Even Betty Buckley and other people recorded it. It's Sarah Brightman. They're all, it's, yeah. it's theirs. But I have only one hit that's like Stephen Sondheim. Some people say, I mean, he has many other songs. But some people who are cruel say, well, Send in the Clowns is your only song. Well, this is... Huh. My son and the clowns, I guess. His yeah. metal arc. Made it famous. Yeah. And so and this is uh this was Patty Lapone, right, on the on the cast right. recording. So I called up Paul Savino. Oh, so I, I go I thought that and one of the main reasons why I pursued this is that I had seen Stephen Swartz living like two miles away from me. And I thought, well, that, that's like fate, that he's living here. I have a telephone number. I mean, some of the, a lot of famous people don't have telephone numbers, unlisted numbers. Now they have cell phones. It's yeah. even worse. So uh, I called, and uh, I said, uh, you're living on Florida Hill. Oh, no, no, I'm living, I'm living in Richfield, but not on uh, that, uh, that street. I'm, I've moved, and I have a tennis court. So I said, well, I'd be interested in doing like four songs with Paul Servino. And Patty LaBone. And maybe I might have thought of the chanson opening. Mm-hmm. Of that, that, that's such a good opening. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he invited me over, and I said, uh, you know, that, that's what, what I'm interested in doing. He said, well, why don't you do a cast album? I said, no individual does a cast album, except for Barry Bostwick. And he's, <laughs> he's in the business, so he's still involved. So uh, he said, well, do you know how many copies I sold of uh, Godspell? You know, 10 million. How many I sold of Pippin? You know, 8 million. How many I sold of The Magic Show? Which I think a lot of people didn't even know was a musical. After a while, people said, Harry, they're singing. (laughs) (laughs) They were smart enough not to let Doug Henning sing. Right. And Merlin, they said, oh, he's the star. He's got to sing. No, 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 no. No. They should sing in a chorus where he has a little voice that everybody else joins in. Oh, my gosh. And so so, he, so we wound up do, doing the cast album. There are other, other things I probably shouldn't say about how we did things. but And then one of the things that fascinates me about what you're doing is, is not only are you recording some of these musicals that are recently coming out and not going on to a, a brighter life, I should say, but then you start, you did a repressing of Kelly at some point? Well, which, no, no, no this, well, it had been on the radio. There was a show called Chapel's Broadway, and primarily they did shows that did have a record and the writer. I remember I was confused by Anyone Can Whistle, just listening to the album. Arthur Lawrence, I believe, came on, and he explained between the cuts, he explained what was happening. Okay, then I understood. What was the show called? Chapel's Broadway? It was a radio show, yes. Chapel's Broadway. That sounds like like a 
today it'd be fun to listen to that. I mean, yeah. I would love to hear Arthur Lawrence come on in between right. songs and, and say, "Well, this is what tapes of stuff. these things with Chapel. You should contact Chapel. Say, do you have some of that stuff? Or yeah, you know, put it together in some way. You know, sounds like a, I've never heard of this before. Uh, My mind is blown. To check that so out. the only, as far as I know, the only show that wasn't an album, Eddie Lawrence was very friendly with Frank Military, who ran Chapel. So I think that's how he got this show on. There was not a clamor for Kelly uh, to be discussed. No. And for- but it was so they, they had a 45-minute uh, condensed singing of, of the score with Eddie Lawrence and Musharlov. And I, I now sell that. I put that on LP, and I sell that. And then I, I really liked, I, I love Musharlov. I love Musharlov. And uh, so Eddie Lawrence called me. He said, uh, they're, they're doing some songs from my show. And I said, well, why, why aren't they doing all the songs? Oh, I don't want all those songs to get out. Like, he has these gems. and want people to hear the whole show. So eventually they, you know, they had a table reading of this. And I said, well, even before you do this actual production, I'd like to record this you know, score. And maybe we can get some people who won't be willing to do it, even in a mufti kind of situation. And so we, we got like Sandy Stewart, who had been married to Musharraf. Mm-hmm. And, uh, who else did we get? Uh, Jane Cannell. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, so we got the interesting guy. We got Brian Dares and James. And so for our listeners, before Carrie was considered to be the, we won't say flop, but the greatest underappreciated musical, Kelly was really the standard because Kelly ran what, one? Well, there are other shows that have won one. So. But sometimes, I mean, Moose Murders was made by Frank Rich, wasn't it? That he kept referring to it. Yes. So if I was reviewing, I would throw disaster into most reviews. How, These how are does famous Moose flops. Compare as a disaster? It's, you know, two-thirds of a disaster or 25% of a disaster? <laughs> amazing. That is amazing. And so... So Kelly had this score that only a few audiences ever got to hear, and it always has been talked about and talked about. And the one song, I Never Go There Anymore, was selected by Stephen Sondheim as a song he wished he had written. This is maybe just the music. He never specified that it was the whole song. I think you know, you know, this was the most coherent lyric that Eddie Lawrence was ever to write because some of those lyrics he obviously had a rhyming dictionary and regardless of the sense of something it rhymed (laughs) so I never go to anymore and there was a longer version of the show that wouldn't have gone over commercially so they cut it down to a you know, Sandy Stewart put out a single of it, and wow. a couple of people had singles of it, so we we included some of those too, uh, the the single single versions that had been recorded commercially. That's amazing, it really is. And what I love is not only are you capturing uh, artists like Alan J. Lerner and Burden Lane and and all of these stalwarts of the American musical theater, you're also starting to preserve at this point new voices like William Finn's in trousers so had we not had an in trousers album i don't know if william finn ever would have really received the acclaim that he got that's because of you how did in trousers come about well again i went this was done at playwrights horizons upstairs when there was the, the old theater and at like 10 30 11 o'clock at night and i've been to some of those sort of readings and you know, you know they were never staged or, and they generally had piano bass and drums or just piano well suddenly for the first time in my experience there's a band there's like eight or nine guys and Michael Sterebin orchestrations. So I, at that point, didn't say I want to record it. And then they did it you know, for the critics, and it didn't get the greatest reviews, especially it was 
disjointed and you know a lot of it didn't make sense he took a song called nausea before the game that had been written for a show in uh, williamstown he now said i regret having that song in the show and there's some other songs i regret letting them put into that show and it didn't have the coherence that false this is i don't know from the beginning was to have been the marvin trilogies i don't there may have been that thought or yeah. it may have evolved once there was a second one then there could be a trilogy, and there right. were. Well, what's four shows? Is there a name for four shows uh, after trilogy? No. no. Well, a, 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 core, a core trilogy. Like a core trilogy. Like a quartet. We'll make it up as we go along. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, So after it didn't go over at Polaris Horizons, I said, you know, this is important music, and I love, you know, these songs. So I called up uh, Bill Finn, and uh, he said, well, he said, I need a $10,000 piano. What, what, what? I said, Bill, I don't really pay anybody anything up front. This is done for preserving the show, and uh, you know, there, there isn't big money in this for me to ever make $10,000. So eventually he, he agreed to do it uh, with him get, getting almost nothing. But he said, I, I want to meet with, I have a friend who is a lawyer. So we meet on Fifth Avenue. You know, any lawyer is an office on Fifth Avenue, and we're negotiating, but I'm not going to hire a lawyer. I'm going to say what I can and can't do. So Bill Finn said, uh, he said, I wanted in the contract that if there's another album, this one has to go out of print. I said, Bill, you know, when they did Oklahoma, Richard Rodgers did not say there can never be another recording of it. And it's in my, not in my best interest to, you know, not be able to sell something. Well, okay, okay. Then then he said, I don't want this played in its entirety on the radio. And if it is, I want you to be personally responsible for having it played on the radio. I said, Bill, how could I stop somebody if a radio station gets it and they decide to play it? They're not calling me and asking me if I gave permission, I can understand. I said, what I can do, and I think that this is on, on the record, it says this is not to be played in its entirety. So I said, that's the most thing to do. So that that was, uh, so was there was something else crazy like that, but the, it's a wonderful record, and I'm sure Bill is uh, more than happy. Uh, uh, yeah, I would think so. It for, launched him. Except for Nausea Before the Game. So <laughs> get rid of that Nausea Before the Game. I know that's not a bad song. It's just, there's no reason that that song sung, but I still, you know, they always claim they cut songs because they're not important. Well, they're really great songs yeah. you got room for why are we singing this because it's a great song that's that's incredible to me i mean and that album really introduced him to a whole new generation that had you not done that it's interesting for the album cover i said i had a guy who had done baker's wife and some of the things and he came up with this nowadays no one creates a design for a record or anything like that there's a logo maybe somebody the... draws a logo but it's, a, it's all on the computer and things like that yeah. basically. Mm. so i said well what about having the title in trousers with some pairs of pants as part of the letters he said this has got nothing to do with pants you cannot or trousers you cannot have any pants on the cover so I said, well, what, what? He said, I don't know what I want. He said, but he said, I have a friend of mine named James Lapine, and he does graphics work. He also had written a play at Playwrights Horizons. But, so we gave this to him, and he came up with this not good solution, as it looks like a, a rock album of pop singers, right? There's a three, four, 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 four singers, and it doesn't connote show. I always say, I want it to look like a Broadway show, even a children's thing. I want it to look like a Broadway show. And so yeah. nobody liked it, but we, we all thought, well, no one has any better idea. 
So we just went went with it. You just kept it. <laughs> so that's James Lapine's artwork. Oh, wow, artwork. Wow, that's incredible. That's so interesting. I know that. <laughs> well, we we owe you big time. And it for didn't that. it didn't sell at all until he started doing the March of the Falsettos. Right. But still, but we're so glad we have that. I mean, that because that was a different voice to that kind of music, that style, Bill Finn style. Was, we hadn't heard that really in the late seventies. Yeah, I mean, what, what you're really doing is is you're documenting how an artist transforms himself over time, right. and it all starts within trousers, right? And I think that's it's a great resource. And I have to ask you about one of my favorite albums, uh, Pretty Bell, which is a camp classic starring Angela Lansbury that people love. You did a recording of this. What about ten, ten years? Ten years later, again, yeah, no one. I think since then, they dropped the cat, and her first Roman, they had a sizable gap. Yeah, Carmelina. So yeah. Robert Shear, who was working on the the early records, we we would talk about things we could do, and we said, well, we had the demo to 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 Pretty Bell. And we had a live recording. So he said, if we were ever a table, we, we know it's a problem to get people from 10 years ago. I mean, if you wanted to record Disaster today, two or three of these people are somewhere else. Now record them later, or you can replace them or do something. So we had kind of agreed without thinking we we're going to do anything about it, that if we ever did go back and record an old show, that Pretty Bell might be a good choice. With a score by... Julie Stein. Julie Stein. And Bob Merrill? Right. Yeah. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So Julie Stein was never friendly to me particularly. He was not unfriendly. I, I would like to sit down and talk about uh, some of the flop shows. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's the show that I uh, guess I'll hang my tears out to dry? Glad to see you. I like to hear some stories. I'm sure there were stories. From yeah. Glad to see you. But maybe when you have hits, you don't really want to go back and talk about the glad n- to see you. So Robert was, Robert could ingratiate himself to, to people. So he would stop by and just a Julie Stein lived above how the Times Square Church with Mark Ellinger. Yeah. So he was visiting him and uh, he said, you know, if we ever did a Broadway show from years ago, we, we, you know, might think about Pretty Bell. So Julie Stein could get very excited about things. He said, let's call Angela. Of course, he has Angela's telephone number. We do not have Angela's telephone number. He calls out to California. Angela's not there. She's doing Pirates of Penzance movie in London. He gets that telephone number. He calls the set of the movie. Now, I would have waited. I would have waited until Angela comes back. I mean, you know, right. we waited 10 years. We can wait 10 years and two or three months, but it's Julie Stein's you know, nickel. So, uh, so uh, she she's not filming at the moment. I don't think there's a stop, stop. I have an offer to record Pretty Bell. I can't film this scene. <laughs> so she comes. Uh, so so you know, she comes to the phone, and Robert's first show as a little kid, you know, I don't seventeen, I'm guessing, was Mame. Oh. So he can't believe he's talking to Angela Lansbury, and Angela doesn't know she's talking to a kid in his early twenties now, right? Who has no financial part of anything. So she said, "Can can you?" You talk to my husband, who's my manager. So the husband comes on. He said, what are you planning on offering, Angela? Now, two things that he should have done. One, either say, this is not my area. Bruce Yeko is the financial. Uh, or if you want, well, he had to come up with a figure. I'm sure the guy <laughs> didn't say exactly what. Uh, you know, is this with taxes or before taxes? Uh, $1,000 was my star royalty. That's the most I give anybody. So I would offer $1,000. I think there's a fair chance because we were told by somebody, not by Julie Stein, somebody that that was her favorite score, not her favorite theater experience, certainly, but that she loved those songs. So Robert calls me, he says, good news and bad news. Good news, Angela wants to record pretty well. Bad news, I kind of mentioned $10,000. <sighs> oh, no, no, Robert. But I'm sure... 
you can talk her into a lower. There was an 11th commandment that came down that didn't make it with the first 10 that said, if you ever promise Angela $10,000, she's going to get 10000 but she's not doing the record. So it, and when we raised money, for this point, I ran out of money. And we raised money. We raised everything except the $10,000. $10,000 short, but we, we eventually figured out a way of paying Angela. You know, the now, one of the things that Kevin and I used to love <coughs> doing was going to Footlight Records when it was in New York City, and then they shut its doors, and we thought, where are people going to go? You bought... I bought the, the mail order. You bought the mail order. Right, and and just to, we should just remind some of our younger listeners that Footlight Records was like the only... I mean, you had some record stores, but Footlight specialized in Broadway, cabaret... Uh, really CDs foreign. and LPs, foreign and cast recordings. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I forgot about those. The Portuguese version of MAME. Yeah, yeah if you were like... Which yeah. is essential for everybody. Like, yeah, totally. You're like, I need that Spanish recording of Man of La Mancha, yeah. and, and, uh, of which there is one. Uh, but you, you I, we, we, I would travel to New York just to go to this record store. I mean, that was like the highlight of my trip to New York from you know college right. in Ohio. They were originally on 3rd Avenue and 12th Street on 3rd Avenue. Yes. And the pizza place was willing to pay more rent, so they just moved half a block away or two two thirds of a block away poor poor ron sajo is the one who basically took it over from the original owners uh-huh. they did well in their time but as the internet started and various things you know, you know and they they had a lot of employees and yeah. the, the the rent kept going up and in new york you know, unfortunately if you have a restaurant and the rent is more than you gross you you again they stayed there too long and when did it close the the, the actual physical location? It's be ten years. Yeah, well, I was going to say mm-hmm. two thousand five, two thousand six. Footlight as a mail order for about six. And you can go to the website, uh, it, which we'll post it, but it's www. Foot, we use Footlight. Just Google Footlight. Yeah. Footlight, yeah. yeah. So uh, and you can, you can put us there. and there's other oh, people right. use Footlights. Yeah. <laughs> and the, there's, I mean, hundreds, thousands of, of recordings, LPs, rare things, new things. Uh, cabaret artists, uh, everything you can think of uh, is is on well, this some, website. Sometimes I will have one copy of something and I'll sell it. <coughs> I think, well, I can always find that. And yeah. someone orders it, and a lot of times I can find it. Other times it's $75, so well, I can't sell it for $16. Exactly. Yeah. But the prices, I was just looking at it recently, and the prices are still fantastic. Well, Bruce. They're really good he, prices. Yeah. He and charged, great stuff. He, he charged uh, a little more on some on some things that, that I would charge, on the foreign recordings, because I was able to get those from England. I would take things to the colony. The colony, they wanted twenty nine ninety five or $30 for any foreign recording. They always said, overcharge there. I'm charging you $10.72. Why, you, you're going to kill yourselves. There might oh. be two people who don't, don't care. I was always shocked that Colony's records were always so expensive. Well, well I did. think that's why they're not they around. They made their money after all the other stores were closed. We went to see a Broadway show and they were open till one in the morning. I'm flying back to Italy and uh, I yeah. want these two records and, uh, yeah. and they'll charge you for it. Well, Bruce, this has been so informative yeah. and so interesting and on behalf of not only all of our listeners but all of musical theater fans everywhere, thank you so much. Especially the collectors. Yeah, especially the collectors yeah. for fighting so hard and, and getting all of these things recorded when nobody else the, would the even think I'm of doing, doing it. The only thing doing nowadays, the only thing I can really afford to do, or barely afford to do it, is a series which I call Lost Broadway and More. Tell us about and that. this is just with piano. Once in a while, another musician wanders in for free. <laughs> and it's just, ideally, it should be songs... If I was the only one involved, it would be songs basically from the 
40s through the 60s. Great. Uh, especially the 60s. Almost all the shows, terrible shows, from the 60s had good songs. They yes. Did. So, you know, but again, they add more. Because when we had someone working on this who was not seeing things my way, who would bring in movie stuff, written by Julie Stein or some of that. And I said, well, you know, I never heard of the song, but he knows every obscure movie song. Oh, uh, so, that's a whole other field. All, yeah, I don't know that field genre. either. At least it's by Julie Stein. He wouldn't bring back something by Max Steiner or something. Right, yeah. <laughs> Steiner, you know? And that series called Lost Broadway? And more. And, and more. more. And there's six volumes? <clears throat> yeah, well, the seventh one is done again. I'm waiting for people to help me finish it off. And I have quite a few new songs, and I want to go back and do it again because I just love the whole process of finding singers and matching them to songs and things like that. So, Well, let us know what you need because yeah. we're always around. <laughs> but honestly, though, Bruce, thank you so much for working so hard to get all of these things thank recorded. You for coming all the way to Connecticut. Oh, it's a pleasure. It was fantastic. Our listeners should know that I'm, we've took a little tour of the house, and literally every there's the whole inventory is around here and it's when you look around and you see onward victoria and you and you see a box full of the it's just it's incredible to see you know, all the history they, here when you're like a, when you're a kid and they're like you know you go to toys r us and you could just run that's wild. how i felt when i that's walked how around. we feel walking i really in. felt like i was at footlight again <laughs> yeah it's it's very incredible see, but when i went to london for the first time i thought well what albums came out in london that i don't know about but i had been to ben bagley's and ben bagley's had the so i didn't find that much stuff that I hadn't seen but had I not seen Ben Bagley's records I, there would have been 40, 50 <laughs> records awesome well if you need more storage space Kevin and I will always open up our apartment to you so don't you worry <laughs> they, they might be taken out of their shrink wrap right. and listened and played but and if you okay. want some records go to the website and buy some footlight.com not footlights.com nope just any, one any question was something recorded or any question that I might be able to answer the Happy to have you call the uh, store number. That would be great. Yeah. Ask Bruce. Reach out to Bruce. He knows everything. Join us next week when we interview the original Maria herself, Carol Lawrence. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.